uh, we are going to finish chapter 3. That's my goal. Somebody say amen. Amen. Uh, we left off in our discussion last week, I believe, right there at verse 7, where they ate the fruit, right? And both their eyes were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. Amen? So in finishing the fall, I'm calling this the fall part three. Amen? Because <laughs> last, uh, what is it, Wednesday was the fall part two, and then uh, last Sunday night was the fall part one. So we're all the way through this now. The fall part three, and we're going to finish this chapter, but I wanted to just touch on the fact that here we're seeing the very effects of the fall immediately. Amen. People go, well, where did it happen? Well, you can see immediately Adam and Eve, who were used to being in God's presence, actually knew the sound of what it sounded like. To hear the Lord God walking in the garden, right? It doesn't say they seen him, does it? In, the, in verse 8 it says, uh, it says they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day. Amen? Or in the cool of the garden. And the man and his wife hid themselves. Now, I don't know exactly what the King James reads, but I'm going to read it too. And they heard the voice of the Lord God. Amen. So we know that at least God was going, hey, Adam, where are you? Right. So they knew God's voice intimately enough to know it was God. Amen. The realities is prior to the fall, God was bringing animals to Adam to name. Right. This is even before Eve was created. Right. Now, what we read earlier in this chapter, correct? God, no suitable helpmate was found, right? Or in chapter 2, my bad. In chapter 2, no suitable helpmate was found, right? So then we see God create Eve from Adam's rib, right? So we understand God and Adam at least had a very intimate relationship where Adam knew God, God knew Adam. No, there was nothing that stood between them. And we have to assume that Eve therein, because she was brought to Adam by God, also had a personal commitment or relationship with God. Amen? Because Eve was made separate while Adam slept, and God brought Eve to Adam. Right? Already made. Now, that's what Mike was waiting for. He was waiting for God to just make up a wife and drop her right in front of him like Adam did, right? So he sent Judy. <laughs> amen. Amen. Can, can, can I get an amen, Mike? <laughs> so for, for all of Mike's life and all of us who were like, is Mike ever going to get married? We're going, yes, Lord, we need you to do exactly what Adam you did for Adam, because Adam needed a helpmate, and so did Mike. Amen? And so did Kevin. And so did... Amen? Come on. It's not good for man to be alone. Amen? It's not good for a woman to be alone either, okay? We're made for each other. Go ahead. <laughs> I knew you had something brewing in your head. I could see it in your eyes. It was just bubbling back there. I saw it. Oh, but we need each other, amen, and we know that they had a relationship with God. We know that they had an intimate enough relationship that they knew God. Not only the sound of God, but his voice, amen. Uh, now, I realize why the ESV says sound. Uh, the, the King James uses the word voice, but the Hebrew word there is not doesn't only mean voice it can mean a, all myriads of sounds okay vocalizations uh, but either way we can disseminate that they either heard God and knew his sound or God was speaking and they knew his voice amen uh, also the very first thing that they do 
is they hide themselves. Amen? Before they even hide themselves, though, they realize something immediately. Because remember, the serpent promised them, your eyes are going to be open, and you're going to be like God, and you're going to know good from evil, right? Well, their eyes were opened, but they didn't get what they were promised. <laughs> All they really saw was their nakedness, and immediately they felt shame for being naked. Amen? The realities of what happened is their innocence that was in their perfection of their creation was stripped from them. They were no longer innocent. They were no longer only godly. Amen. With the knowledge of good and evil came a sense of their sin, of their unworthiness, of what had just taken place. That they had broken the commandment of God in that nothing in all of creation to this point had done. Amen? It was actually unfathomable that something would say, no, we're not going to do what God said. And we talked about last week how that's rebellion against God and how it's not the sin that qualifies the punishment, but who we sin against that qualifies how deep the punishment's going to go. Amen? Like, now, I'm not going to say this in a frivolous way, but if, if somebody shot me, they might go to jail. They might even, you know, get life in prison. But if they shot the president, a whole lot more people would be upset, right? And they'll be pushing for the death penalty. They'll be pushing to get me executed. Amen? So just think of it in perspective. Somebody sins against me, it's one thing, but to sin against God who's all holy, all righteous, is a big deal. Amen? So when people ask you, why was the punishment for Adam so severe? I remember listening to R.C. Sproul when he heard this question, okay? Uh, he was sitting at a, um, I think it was a strange fire conference, but they asked him, why was the punishment for Adam so severe? And he just was beside himself. He looked at them. He looked at the crowd. And he said, what's wrong with you people? <laughs> what's wrong with you people? Not so severe. He's like, he got mercy. He was told the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. The very fact that he was drawing breath was the grace of God at work. Amen. He said, this creature formed from mud defied the infinite holy God. And you want to know why his punishment was so severe? He said, the real question is, why wasn't his punishment even more immensely, vastly more severe? Because that's how important God is, how important his holiness is to him how important his righteousness is to him and we ought to thank God that his grace and his mercy are also important to him amen because if we only got what we deserved right we would all suffer the wrath of God amen and what Adam does speaks to the very heart of every human being now and we read it in Jesus's own words in John 3 17 18 19 right he said men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil and they don't come into the light well why not because like Adam we are all constantly on the run amen because our wickedness of human nature causes us to run away from God. Amen? Alright. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of hold on, go back to verse 7. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. Now, so what they did was they discovered by their eyes being open that they were naked. So what do they do? They tried to cover themselves. Come on, somebody. When we mess up, what do we do? We try to fix it ourselves, 
right? We try to fix our own mistakes, try, try to cover it up, try to hide it, try to, oh, like, let me ask you a question. Just think about this. If they didn't go run as soon as they heard God's voice, so they just sewed these fig leaves together, and they walk up to God like nothing's happening, right? They're like, hey, God, what's up? And God's going to go, what are you wearing? And why are you wearing it? Right? And that's what God does when we're trying to fix our stuff. He's like, so what are you wearing? And why are you wearing it? That's what happens when we try to wear our own righteousness and cover our own mistakes. Amen? It's not hidden from God. You know, even if they would have came right to God's presence when they heard his voice in the cool of the garden, they would have had to have that confrontation immediately because God would have been like, why are you, why are you clothed? Why would you put something on? And then Adam would have said, well, we're, we're naked. We had to clothe ourselves. And he would have asked the same question. Who told you you were naked? Did you eat the fruit that I told you not to eat? Amen? He would have asked the same question. But that's also what happens. We hide our sin or we try to fix it ourselves. And then when we're confronted, most of the time we run away from God. That is what happens. That's human nature now. Because of the fall, we run from God with those things that we're trying to hide, desperately try to hide so that God cannot see them, quote unquote. And forget the whole time, you know, the only reason you think you're getting away from, away with anything in private is because you somehow have convinced yourself that God does not see you where you are. <laughs> Amen? Come on, let's be real. The only reason we got these secret thoughts or secret this is because we think God doesn't see that. But in reality, God sees everything. And we read in the next verse, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day, and man and his and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to them, Where are you? Now here's the question. And a lot of people don't get this, okay? And you all are pretty sharp tacks, so I'm assuming that you're gonna get this, okay? God knew where they were, okay? Well, somehow, and notice that they hide in the forest, in the trees that God made for them. And, and what we do is we'll hide behind all this other stuff that God has made for us. And we'll, we'll hide behind our wife, or we'll hide behind our family, or we'll hide behind the, the, our work, and we'll hide behind uh, uh, even apparently Bible reading this because there's people that hide behind that who are not really saved, who are not really living their life for God. Amen? So we got to understand they're hiding and it's not as if God doesn't see them. Amen? It's like playing hide and seek with Gabriel, Mike. Generally speaking, he's not hiding good enough for you not to know where he is anyway, okay? And you're a finite creature who only has two little eyeballs that can only perceive what you can see with those two little eyeballs. You are not God who sees everything and nothing, according to Scripture, nothing is hidden from his sight. Amen? So here these guys are hiding from Superman. Just think about it. It's like, remember Superman's got x-ray vision, right? It's like some criminal hiding behind uh, uh, this, like if I'm trying to hide behind this pulpit from Superman. He'd see me. Why? Because he's got x-ray vision. God sees everything. There's not, I can't hide behind a wall. I can't hide behind my own righteousness. I can't hide behind my wife. Can't hide behind the church. Can't hide nowhere amen so God when he says where are you is only trying to elicit a response from the man amen the, the, the term isn't that God didn't know where he was the term is Adam I need you to come out here and be truthful <laughs> amen where are you and why are you over there amen that's more of what's going on here. And then we read, 
it elicited a response because he said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. I want to read verse uh, 10 from the King James. He said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now, Adam did come forth and he confessed why he hid himself, right? He didn't lie to God. He said, I, <laughs> I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. And that's where we're all at. Amen. That's where everybody has to come before repentance comes. Amen. Is, uh-oh, here's God and I'm afraid. Amen. People go, well, God doesn't want you to be afraid of him. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Amen. The fear of the Lord. What does that mean? That means this infinite holy God that I have sinned against deserves a holy fear, a holy reverence. Me to say, I woe is me like Isaiah. Woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips who lives in a land of unclean lips. Amen. He's like, that's me. That's what Isaiah said when he saw the presence of God, when he heard the voice of God, okay? And I'm sorry, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna jump on a soapbox and I hope you don't uh, think any less of me, but that's when I hear people say, God came to me and told me this, okay? Never do you hear them saying when God came in the room, I fell on my face like a dead person and I was sore afraid and I was like a dead man and I said, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips. Amen. This is God's prophet saying that. Yet we got people nowadays that just speak for God willy-nilly. God talks to them all the time. They must live in a state of reverence and self-loathing like no one else because God is speaking to them all the time. Well, they're... The realities of what's going on in that kind of thinking is beyond me because when God personally shows up in the Bible, people are not just like high-fiving him and going, hey, God, what's up? You're my best friend, right? He's God. That's what I don't like about this. Yes, Jesus called us friends, but Thomas, John, Peter, Luke, Matthew, Mark, any of these guys never once wrote like Jesus was just the guy down the street that you could approach however you wanted. Thomas, when he realized who Jesus was, what was his response? My Lord and my God. John on the island of Patmos the very moment that this vision starts is trembling in fear because God Almighty himself is talking to him. Amen? So I have a hard time with this God tells them stuff all the time, just every day. If that were true, they would be living in a room completely humbled, completely torn apart because the God of the entire universe is speaking to them. Amen? I read a, I read a quote uh, the other day. There's some uh, three or 4,000 times in the Bible where it says, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, God said, God said, God said. And I, I, I thought, this is good. If I want to hear God say something, I'm going to open my Bible. Because he says all kinds of stuff in here. Amen? And then his spirit bear witness with my spirit. That this is true and he'll lead me into all truth. Amen? Do you realize when the Holy Spirit was sent, he wasn't told that he was going to tell you all these different new things. He said he's going to remind you whatsoever I have commanded you. That's what Jesus said. 
He's going to remind you the things that I taught, the things that I taught you. The things that he gives you are going to be from me. They're not going to be from himself. They're going to be from me. Amen. So to think that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit just to be a genie that I can call and he just does whatever I want is ridiculous because the Holy Spirit did not come down here to do your will. He did not come down here to do his will. He has come down here to do the will of Christ. And he was sent with a purpose just like Christ was. And you, church, are sent with a purpose just like they both were. Amen? So we got to understand that. Amen? Now, in the midst of all this, they hide themselves, and he answers God, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said unto him, Who told you that you were naked? Now, this is very important to understand. God already knew who told him that he was naked. Amen? Who told him he was naked? Nobody. It was revealed to him by sin. The moment that he broke the commandment and ate the fruit, that's what told him, you're naked. And every one of us, when we come to Christ, are confronted with our own sin. And we come face to face with the fact that we stand naked bare everything in me is laid bare before this God who created all things amen now the reason we can infer this from the chapter is watch what he says he said who told you that you were naked and then he asked the second question before Adam can even say anything else he says have you eaten of the tree which I have commanded you not to eat Another rhetorical question because God already knew, amen. The man said to him, now, now this is what happened. He was honest at first, right? He said, I was naked and I hid myself. But when it got to the root of the problem, did you commit the sin? Did you commit sin and eat what I told you not to eat? And herein is all humankind now. We try to blame circumstance. We try to blame other people. We try to blame, amen, come on, right? We try to blame anything but me. And that's why coming to Christ is so important that when the gospel light is shed on my heart and God moves upon my soul, when I am confronted with my sin, I must own it. I must repent. Part of repentance is accepting that I'm a sinner, that I have sinned, that I have broken God's command. Otherwise, I'm not going to repent because I don't actually see anything wrong with what I'm doing. Amen? Now, this is all. Everybody's walk with Christ and how God draws everybody is very similar, but not everybody's experience upon repentance is exactly the same. And, and, and the work of sanctification is not always look the same. But the idea that I'm confronted with my sin and I repent and turn to Christ at the point of regeneration is absolutely necessary and absolutely part of the process. Amen. The realities of this are seen here. And the man said, it was the woman whom you gave me. See, everybody goes, oh, he's blaming Eve. No, he blamed God. It was the woman thou gave me. See that? That's who he's blaming. He didn't blame Eve. He said, the woman you gave me, God, she gave me to eat. And I ate. And now what we do? Well, God, you sent this person to me. Man, this is a quiet crap. Did they not have dominion over the whole earth? Then they should have had dominion over the serpent. Right? They should have taken dominion over the serpent. Now, whether you believe this or not, men are actually... <clears throat> 
qualified as the, the, the priests of the home. Amen. The head of the wife. Christ is the head of the man, right? What scripture says. So we understand Adam could have said no, should have said no, should have stopped what was going on. But Eve still had her own part because Eve had dominion also. Amen. Eve should have looked at the serpent and said, look, serpent. First of all, I don't know why you're talking because serpents can't talk. <laughs> right? Let's go back to that for a second. Why is the snake talking, okay? That should have been a red flag that the snake was talking, okay? Second of all, she should have said, I'm not going to listen to you because I already know what God told me to do, and I'm not going to eat that fruit no matter how much you make it sound good for me to get. Amen? And then she could have already said, hey, I'm already made in the image and the likeness of God. Amen? But no, she didn't do it. Adam blames her and God, the woman you gave me. That's a very important statement there, okay? Because he isn't just blaming Eve. He's saying, God, that woman that you gave me, he's laying the charge at God's feet going, well, if you wouldn't have gave me that woman, you know, I never would have ate that fruit. Right? That's the implication of what he's saying, the woman you gave me. So now he's blaming God for his sin, for his disobedience. Because you gave me this woman, God. Now watch what Eve does. She does the same thing Adam does. She says, uh, and the man said, the woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord then looked at the woman and said, what is this thing that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the woman, in turn, does not accept blame for her own part in this. Amen? Neither one of them do. He blames her and God, and she blames the serpent. The serpent has no recourse. He has nobody to blame. Amen? Now, this is a very good teachable moment that this serpent is not just a serpent. Number one, he's talking. Number two, he's contradicting God and he's telling Adam and Eve, oh, surely you can eat it. So we understand that this is not just a snake, but this is the great serpent, the deceiver, Satan. Amen. And notice that God doesn't even give the serpent permission or question him. He doesn't ask him to talk at all. Amen? Why? Because Satan already stood condemned. Amen? Remember what we talked about? Somewhere between the creation of Adam and Eve and this event had to have been the fall of the angels. Amen? Somewhere in between there because we realize at the end of chapter 1, God says, he looked at everything that he had made, and it was good, very good. Amen? So this must be Satan. We understand that. And the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all the beasts of the field. On your belly shall you go, and of dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Now here's an important part that I wanted to talk about. There are some people who believe that the serpent looked different before the curse. Because he tells the serpent, you're going to go on your belly and you're going to eat dust all the days of your life. And it implies that the serpent wasn't doing those things before God said this. Meaning that the serpent wasn't going about on his belly at the time. Matter of fact, God likens him unto livestock. Isn't that what he said? He said, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly shall you go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Now, there's some people that infer that means that the serpent looked much different before the fall 
and maybe didn't look like a snake before the fall, maybe looked like some kind of livestock. I don't know that that's true. I can see how they can infer that from that verse because it's saying, now you're going to go about on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. So what I'm guessing is that God, that's part of the curse that he was now doing something that he didn't do before. Amen? Now, I'm not going to get lost on that because it's really not that important to me, okay? The important part is that he was deceived, deceived Adam and Eve and caused them to sin. Amen? Now, if we want to apply that to part of his curse, we can do that. Now, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. I want to read this part out of the King James. It says this, verse 15, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now you see how the King James used it and then he amen uh the reason that they've done that uh, is they're trying to put the pronouns in there without using he 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 because is satan a he he's an angel are angels do angels have sexes no so i don't know that he fits and that's why he said your seed or it it, he calls Satan seed it, and he calls Eve seed he. Amen. So this verse is what we like to call in uh, theology the protovangelium, or the first instance of the gospel being talked about in its infancy. He shall bruise your, you shall bruise his head, and he shall, cru whatever. He, you shall bruise his heel, and he shall crush your head. Amen. This is an instance saying that at some point, the seed of the woman is going to defeat you. Amen. You're going to bruise him, hence the crucifixion. Amen. But he's going to crush you, the resurrection. Jesus being victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Amen. Jesus being proved to be God in the flesh. Amen. <coughs> Now, don't get lost on this protovangelium because this is really only inferred once we have understood who Christ is. Amen. Because in all likelihood, when Cain kills Abel and Eve bears Seth, she's thinking this is the child that God was promising me. Right. He shall bruise your head. Or you shall bruise his heel and he shall bruise your head. In all likelihood, Eve is thinking Seth is that promised seed. Amen. And she even says that Cain killed Abel and God gave me another son. Amen. She goes on to say that in that story. So the understanding of this being a pre-gospel message is only understood after Christ came, after he rose from the dead, and then Jewish men and women started looking back through scripture and going, hold on, where do we see Jesus throughout all of the Old Testament? And I'm just guessing that they got to this verse in Genesis and went, that's the seed that's crushing the serpent's head. That's it right there. Amen. So it wasn't something that they understood at the time, but it's definitely something that we see now. Amen. All right. To the woman, he said, surely I will multiply your pain in childbearing and in pain. You shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over thee. The King James gives a little bit different uh, sentence here on Eve's. Uh, behalf okay unto the woman he said I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception in sorrow shalt thou bring forth children 
and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, there's a lot of debate on this verse as to what this means, okay? And a lot of people see the man being the head of the house as part of the curse, which is not true because when Paul talks about man being the head, he doesn't go back to the curse. He goes back to Adam and Eve's creation. Amen. He goes back to Adam being created first and then Eve. Amen. Not just that Eve sinned and Adam didn't or whatever. Amen. Because as much as he tries to throw Eve under the bus in 1 Timothy 2, because, oh, the woman was deceived and not the man, right? We see in Romans chapter 5 that he completely blames Adam for our fall into sin. Through one man, death entered into all men. Amen. So we understand when Paul's talking about Adam and Eve and man and woman and the headship of the husband, he's not talking about the fall. He's talking about when they were created. And that's what he goes back to. Amen. Now, this verse, I, I honestly think that the ESV gives us a better understanding of it. Okay. Because the King James simply says that thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. But the Hebrew word there when they're talking about thy desire shall be to is not your desire is going to be just for your husband. And he's gonna, you're going to want him and love him and want to run after him. But the word that's being used there is more like contrary to. Okay? It's going to be contrary to your husband. Your desire is going to be to try to usurp authority. The ESV says this, your desire shall be contrary to your husband because the word that's used there isn't just I'm going to, uh, my desire is going to be for you. My desire is going to be to overtake you, to overrule you. Amen. And another part of the curse is truly that men will rule over their wives. And surely this is what's in view here because men and women in marriage relationship are constantly trying to assert dominance. Amen? All the time. We're like, oh, no, I said this and I said that. And oh, well, I told you this and I told you that, right? So I think what's in view here in the curse is that the marriage relationship is now going to be hard there's enmity there's there's striving that's going on between the man and the woman to constantly be at odds with each other to rule to be in charge amen so when people say oh it was part of the curse that men are the head of the house no the men were made first in the beginning but there was no tension in the relationship, there was no, the, the woman wasn't looking at man like, well, why is he in charge? And, and, the, and the man wasn't going, man, I already told you, woman, be quiet. You know, there wasn't none of that, right? They were all right with the roles that God gave them, amen? God gave Adam dominion. Adam named all the beasts of the field, and then God created Eve. What did he say when he created Eve? He said there was no suitable helper. No suitable helper found. Amen. So he made Eve. Let's go back and read that real quick in Genesis 2. I just want to read that. Okay. Uh, where is it? Verse 18. And the Lord God said, un said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now unto the ground, now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heaven and brought them unto the man to see what they would call them. And whatever he called the living creature, that was its name. And man gave all the names to all the livestock, the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper. So the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up the place with the flesh. And, uh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman and brought him to her. Then he said, this 
is at last bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Therefore, she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Notice that God created woman as a helper, fit for man, meaning they were perfectly designed the way they were. And the order of creation was not an issue. Eve didn't look at Adam and go, well, why was he created first? Why is he the head? Why? She didn't do that. The tension that we see in marriage relationships is due to the fall because the woman's inclination is to overrule, to overtake. And the man's inclination is to rule. And that's why she's always saying, well, I told you to do this, and I told you to do that piece. Well, I told you, and I told you to be quiet. And you ain't doing that either. Blah, 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 blah. And that's what's happening here. We see in this curse of Eve where the marriage is being disrupted because of the curse. Amen? So God looks at Eve and he said, I will multiply your pain and childbearing and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So both of them are now built with an inclination to outdo the other one. And if you've ever been in a fight with your spouse, it goes something like this. They'll say something that hurts you and you'll say something that hurts them back. And then they go a step further, and you go a step further, and you're right, and I'm right, and she's right, and he's right, and nobody's right. Because we're all walking under the curse. Amen? Come on. That's why in the New Testament, Paul says that we're to submit ourselves one to another. Amen? Why? Because this was the design from the beginning. Although man is the head of the wife, man gives himself up for the wife. Amen? And although woman is oh, to be uh, contrary to man, her job in the New Testament is to submit to her husband as unto the Lord. So we see woman submitting, we see man dying to their self and living for their wife because just like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, a husband is to love his wife and give himself for her. Amen? And then Paul later in Galatians says, submit yourselves one to another in reverence to the Lord. Amen. The understanding is getting back to the marriage relationship before the fall. Amen. Where although there's different roles, they're not lorded over each other. Amen. They're not held against each other. Lastly, now we can see clearly in Adam's curse that Everything else gets cursed because of him. Right? Notice that God is not directly applying a curse directly to Adam, but to everything in creation because of Adam. Amen? The depravity that came into man did not come about by the curse. It came about by disobedience. And when disobedience happened, depravity entered into humanity at that point. That's why they knew they were naked. That's why they hid themselves. Amen. That's why God doesn't say, when I cursed man, that's when death came into all man. He said, through disobedience of the one man, sin entered into the world and death with sin. Amen. So Adam's disobedience brought death and sin. That's where depravity came in. Not due to the curse. It was due to disobedience to the command of God. Now watch this. To Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return unto the ground. For out of it you were taken. For 
you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now we see what the curse did to Adam. Return to the dust. Amen? God already has in view before he says, let us kick man out of the garden because he will take a, grab the tree of life. Before he ever says that, he's telling Adam, you're going to return to the ground from which you came now. You're going to die. Amen? <clears throat> the man called his wife, or the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Now here we see God's first instance of using sacrifice to forgive sin. Amen. God took clothes or skins from animals. That means they had to die. Right. I'm, I don't know how many animals can live without their skin. Okay. Pretty much when you take skins off of animals, they die. Amen? Even if an animal lives through you skinning it, it would not live very long through you skinning it because infection would set in, outside things would contaminate in, internal organs, right? So we understand when, they, when he skinned them, they died. And he says throughout the rest of Scripture, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Amen. And this is true even in uh, when he starts talking about, you know, if, if an animal kills a human, the blood of that animal will be required of it. Amen. Because that's what God, how God views human life. Even after the fall, God views human life as something precious because they are made in the image and likeness of God. Amen. So here we see the very first instance of sacrificial atonement. Amen. God takes these skins from the animal and clothes Adam and Eve. In other words, instead of them sewing their little fig leaves together that would have fell apart, by the way. Okay. Like when you got them wet, <laughs> it was disintegrated, right? Huh? Yeah, sometimes. Skin's more durable, skin's more pliable, and lasts longer than a grass skirt will, okay? Just telling you. That's, that's how I'm going to put it, okay? Grass skirt won't last as long as a leather one, okay? <laughs> Amen. But God, instead of them trying to cover their self with their own righteousness, God makes sacrifice and covers them for himself. Amen. He, he does it by himself for them. Amen. And that's what he does in Christ. He does it by himself for you. Amen. For God so loved the world. That's all those who believe, right? We talked about that. He gave his life for you. Specifically to cover you. Amen. That's what he did for Adam and Eve made covering for them. Amen? This is just a pre-shadow of the ultimate sacrifice. Amen? And like I said again, they would not have even realized any of this about the coming Messiah or the coming seed until after Christ is revealed because we realize that the Old Testament, these things were hidden to them. That's what the Bible says. Paul says these things were hidden and revealed to us now. Amen. And this is Paul who was a Pharisee of Pharisees who knew the law, right? He still was blind to this. That's why he was persecuting the church. That's why he was trying to kill Christ beforehand, right? Trying to kill the Christians. Christ, notice that while he was persecuting the church, Jesus didn't come and say, hey, why are you persecuting my church? He said, why are you persecuting me? Right? Saul, Saul, why perse persecutest thou me? That's King James for you if you want it, Mike. <laughs> why are you persecuting me? Amen. Now, with all of that in view, we already see God promising man that he's going to go back to the earth, back to dust, right? 
So he's already foreshadowing, taking away the tree of life. Okay? As we finish this chapter, he says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, I'm going to stop right there. Notice that God does not disagree with what the serpent said. Man is now knowledgeable of good and evil. The problem is, now man is not capable of just doing good, but he's inclined to do evil. Amen? We know this now because we see it throughout the rest of Genesis. It only takes from Genesis 3 to Genesis 6 to get to the words that say this. And God saw the wickedness of man, that it was great in the earth, that every thought and inclination of his heart was evil continually. That's how fast sin entered into the human race. That's how fast it made sin made the human race so desperately wicked. Just from Genesis 3 to Genesis 6, that God says, I regret even making man. And he kills everyone on earth except eight people. That's how serious God takes sin. Amen? That's how serious God takes judgment, justice, righteousness. It was not an evil thing that God destroyed those men. It was God's righteousness and justice and judgment that had to happen because God cannot even look upon sin according to Habakkuk. Amen? So we understand that this did not diminish God. Amen? And God saying man is like us is saying that man does know good from evil. But the problem that came with knowing good from evil is that we gained an inheritance of wanting to do evil always. That's terrible, right? Now watch this. He said, now lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground uh, from which he was taken. Now, that part of it is very important. Because I just told you that when he was applying the curse to man, that he was already foreshadowing taking the tree of life away from him so that man would return to the dust from which he came, right? Now, this word where God says, now lest he reach out his hand and also take up the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, God, the Lord God sent him out of the garden to work the ground from which he was taken. Now, what does that mean? This is a very important thing for you to get in your head. Adam was not made from the ground that was in the Garden of Eden. Adam was made from the dust of the earth and placed in the Garden of Eden because the Garden of Eden was made after Adam. So when he kicked him out of the garden, he went back to the ground from which he was taken. The ground outside of the garden. The Bible is very specific in chapter 2 that the Lord God formed man from the dust of the earth and then created a garden eastward in Eden and placed man in the garden. That's what it says. So man was kicked out of the garden back to the ground from which he was taken. Amen. So the Garden of Eden was a special place made just for man to tend, to take dominion there. Amen. To be the husbandman, the, the, the steward over that place for God. Amen? Now, lastly, and I'm going to close. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden to work the ground from which he came, and he drove out the man. Right? This drive out the man. That pretty much tells me that Adam wasn't leaving cooperatively. No, I don't want to go. Probably hear Eve, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done it, right? I heard man, no, it was really me. I'm sorry, I blamed Eve and you, right? But God drove them out of the garden. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. 
Now, there's some people who think when it says to guard the way of the tree of life, it meant that he was pointing back to the, uh, the Garden of Eden so that you know that's where you should be going. But the text really is implying that he was kicking them out and he was putting a guard. He was posting a guard so they couldn't come back. Amen. That's what it's really inferring. It's saying he posted a cherubim and a flaming sword just to whack old dude back if he tried to come back into the garden, right? You're not coming back. You're not getting back in here. Amen. Why didn't he let Adam come right back in the garden? Because God had already planned Christ. Christ was already the plan from the beginning. Amen. And everything had to go out according to God's plan. Amen. The fall, everything. Yeah, that's, a, that's something for you to wrap your mind around, that God, in, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, allowed, purposefully allowed all these things, ordained them to take place, that he would show his glory and his grace in Christ. Amen? That's what the Bible says. That's not my words. That's what Paul says. He passed over former sin that he might reveal his grace in Christ to us at this present time. That's what he says. Amen. So we understand the reasoning now for why God allowed it. Because Christ was the purpose, the plan to show his glory in his son. Amen. So that's what we're looking forward to. But we're going to go through Genesis and we're going to read all kinds of things that God did allowed, brought to pass, amen, and it goes all throughout the book of Genesis. We see story after story of seeing men and women in, their, in the fallen state and what they do with the gifts and the callings that God places on them, amen. So let's stand and we're going to pray. We made it through the chapter three. Somebody say amen. Made it through chapter 3. I'm happy we made it through chapter 3. We learned a lot, I think, and I hope you learned a lot anyway. Uh, there's a lot of information in there. If you want to ever go read uh, some books on the book of Genesis, there's uh, several good books that I would point you to. Uh, uh, number one, Calvin has a good commentary on Genesis. Uh, uh, who's the other guy I have at home? I don't remember. Uh, John Davis, I believe, has one called From, from Paradise to Prison. Uh, it's, a, it's pretty much a commentary and a view of what Genesis looks like and the different aspects of God that are shown in Genesis. But it's a good read if you want to read it. Look it up. It's good stuff. And, of course, you can always go to the, uh, I don't know if anybody knows, but the blueletterbible.org. They have all kinds of commentaries on there. I showed Mike those commentaries, and you can go read all of those on that chapter, on the whole book of Genesis, on every book of the Bible, they got commentaries. So if you ever want to go and do extra reading for that, do it. Uh, also, if you, if you want to read what the church believes about creation and the fall of man, it's also in the Baptist Confession of Faith. Amen. Uh, yeah, you can see, you can learn more about that on Fridays, amen. We will cover that at some point, amen. But I hope it was informative for you, and I'm looking forward to the next chapter. And uh, it should go a lot faster now, okay? I'm just saying it should, it should. Uh, the, there's a whole lot there in those first three chapters. Chapter four, chapter five, we'll have some things that we talk about. But I think chapter six may be another uh, chapter that may go a little slower just because now we're talking about God judging the world through a flood and why and all those things you know what I mean but uh, it should go faster from this point out okay and I'm trying my goal is to just go a week maybe two on each chapter so we should go now when I say a week I mean a, a sermon or two on each chapter so every week we should be able to get through one chapter amen sunday night and wednesday night we should be able to get through a chapter that way amen somebody hopefully <laughs>
Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for your grace, for your mercy. God, I thank you that even when our progenitors sinned and, and fell, God, from your grace, God, that they sinned against you and were rebellious and listened to their own inclinations, God. We pray and thank, praise you and thank you, God, that you forgave them, that you covered them. And God, we thank you that you cover us and forgive us, that none of us goes to heaven on our own merit, God, but all of us are sinners and deserve a hell, God, but you give us eternal life and you give that to all those that believe. And God, we ask that you would help us to understand the truths that we read in your word. Lord, we ask that you would reveal them to us. Help us to understand them, take them to heart, and help them conform us into the image of your dear son. Lord, I pray for each and every one of these tonight as they go. Lord, I pray that you'd go with them, that you would protect them, that you would uplift them, uphold them, and strengthen them for this week that they are about to enter into, God. And I pray that you would help them as they go out and witness of your love, your grace, and your mercy that to everyone that they meet, God, that they would be salt and light in this world, God, and that you would use them for your glory and for your honor. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.